Open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 17. John chapter 17, and we'll be starting in verse 9. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep, <clears throat> keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. <clears throat> but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And that's my main focus is that last verse. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Now, when someone, they take the uh, easiest, uh, most convenient path, I guess you could call it, um, and they're faced with a choice that might be harder, um, or maybe we would call the best path. Right, All things considered, A, B, and C are your paths. C is the best one. They choose A, for example. And even though that that choice, it might hurt others. It might have future consequences. Um, When people do that, we say that they chose the easy way, the easy way out. And in other words, they're, they're driven by... Uh, cowardice, laziness, uh, fear. They, uh, they lack empathy uh, for others. But let's not put all the blame on others um, <clears throat> and neglect an opportunity to talk about ourselves. Because uh, let's face it, we love the easy way out too. Um, I always, I'm amazed, one of man's greatest Uh, talents is when confronted with a problem they find they they figure out the easiest way may not always be the best way but it is the easiest the quickest Um, the quality of the end result may not be so good but it was quick and easy and people just love everything easy all the time except 
I've found for just one thing, and that is acquiring salvation. Now, I, I know you know that I don't mean that you would win it, so to speak, you know, strive for it, but to have it, to have salvation. And that's the one thing they'll just do the hard way every time, every time. Um, and it's not as if they've not been provided ample study material to make a better choice uh, concerning salvation. Um, and again, you know what I mean by choice. They have, they have the Bible, thousands of words, 60-some books. They've read what God has declared, if they've opened it up. Uh, they've seen this phrase, uh, it's, a, it's a very common one, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That's in Mark. So they know that something like belief is essential for salvation. It's essential, right? So we can call that choice A, if we want to call it something like that. And they have seen the writings of an old leader named Moses back there in Exodus and Leviticus. Uh, He was the conduit through which God declared the law, right? A set of ceremonies, uh, morals, uh, observances that if someone wants to remain righteous, you have to follow, right, to a T, And it's not to gain righteousness, let me be clear about that, but to maintain it. So they know that righteousness, and and therefore salvation, uh, it can't be acquired by the law, right? You can only maintain it. And besides that, it's obvious if you just read through Leviticus, it's very, you know, you could think dry reading from humanistic terms. It's very dry read. Um, it's obvious that the law is complex, it's very lengthy, um, and easily broken. You can easily do the wrong thing. And therefore, if you've uh, done one thing wrong in the law, it's all wrong. You've missed the whole thing. So after seeing that, surely mankind is rightly judged, or would rightly judge, that the law is not the easy way. So we got A and B, right? Belief and the law. So people have seen that God has provided just one way for a sinner to acquire salvation. And belief that Christ Jesus came to save sinners and that they themselves are sinners. But because of their sinful nature, our sinful nature, they choose the impossible way. They choose the law, which is weak in that it relies on man to complete, man to satisfy the requirements. It's not the easy way, but they know it has one thing, one thing that the easy way doesn't have, which is that people, sinners, might receive some glory because they worked for it. They work for it in the law, and they think they get a little bit of the glory. And every time when faced with a choice between receiving a little bit of glory 
even just a little bit, or declaring that all glory belongs to God. People would rather try to earn a little bit for themselves. So while God declares that he desires mercy, not sacrifice, mankind desires works and not charity. And likewise, and this is a human argument, it's not found in the Bible, it's just a human argument. Wouldn't it be easier, talking about the easy way, wouldn't it be easier for God to have just destroyed the heavens and the earth as soon as Adam and Eve sinned? I mean, for, for us, it's like, well, that's the end of it. It's ruined. If you've got a stained shirt, why keep it? Why not just start over? Why contend with man even for a day, let alone thousands of years? There's abundant evidence that we are not worth putting up with. And all the things that God does for us, the granting life, the directing our paths, directing our feet, uh, showing his good works in the heavens and on the earth, have they even borne fruit? This is somewhat similar to, I think, uh, Jeremiah was saying. If his works are so good, why do so many people still scorn him and, and, and not believe him? Where are his followers? If he's not winning, he should just pack it up. That's the human argument, right? But that human argument, it doesn't consider that God, that our God, is a loving God. Ephesians says, rich in mercy. And Jeremiah says that he loves his children with an everlasting love. The human argument falls in the face of that. While mankind prefers the easy way, God has proven again and again that he will always choose the loving way. The loving way. He so loves his children that he will always provide, <clears throat> always provide what is best for them in eternity. In eternity. Not always right now, but in eternity. And what I mean by right now, do you got an ache and he hasn't taken it away? That's what I mean. Right now. His focus is eternity. But look back at that verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Every believer has this in common. They have a great peace knowing that death here on earth is life everlasting with our loving God, with our loving God. That doesn't mean that we welcome death or that we tempt uh, death. Um, I don't know if it was Maurice Montgomery or someone else. He says, I trust God, but I don't sleep under elephants. We don't tempt it. We don't step in front of trains and all that. But wouldn't it be easier if God simply removed his children from earth? As soon as they believed, no more pain. Again, human arguments. No more pain. No more anxiety. No more sorrow. No more 
Striving with unbelievers, Bruce. It would be easier. But, behold what our heavenly brother prays for instead. He says, you, God, keep them from the evil one. Well, what evil one? Well, we got the adversaries of God, the devils, which that's what the Hebrew word means, adversary. And we've got our own sinful natures. We were born that way. Remember what God told Cain. And I don't know how long before Cain decided to murder his brother, but it was beforehand. Uh, He said in Genesis, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, we all know how that turned out. He didn't rule over it. And there is the devil going about the earth, as Peter says, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And just a little while before our main text in John, a a devil or, or the devil, it's not always clear, had begun a work in Judas, right? Jesus had given him his bread and he went and he betrayed him. And it set in motion the events that would lead to the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. But those events were necessary to fulfill scripture, as it says in John 19. Now, his death and resurrection opened the door to heaven. And I'm saying this with all understanding. It made it easy. It made the easy way possible. The way that isn't the law. Like Joseph's brothers who meant to do evil toward Joseph, but God meant it for good. God used these actions to save many people alive. Yet what is easy? What is easy to God? Isn't taking us out of the world easier than keeping us from the evil one? That's short-sighted. That's short-sighted. It's not the right question. We can boldly declare that nothing has been beyond the Lord's abilities. In Genesis it says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Do you think you're safer from the devils in heaven compared to here? Does God not have control over them anywhere they are? And anywhere you are, for that matter. Instead, in God's actions we see that we see with what love we are cared for while we sojourn here. Keep them from the evil one. Spurgeon said, Beloved, our escape from evil at the first was by the Father's grace. Our persevering in righteousness until now has been wrought in us by the Father's hand through the divine spirit. And this day, if we have not apostatized, or I'm sorry, a spot, I can't say it, 
apostatized, if we have not denied the faith and proved traitors to Christ, we must ascribe it entirely to the grace of God. So we are kept. We are kept. But not in the way mankind would expect. Um, When you hear or when you think of God keeping somebody, right? Um, what are the first things that come to your mind? I, I ask myself that question. I, and especially when I'm up here, I think that if I'm kept of God, that my tongue will not bring shame to God or bring God down. That is, to me, one of the worst things that could happen while I'm standing in this spot. We might think also that our actions will always prove our faith. Will always prove our faith and make it obvious who we worship, who we follow. We might think that if God's keeping us, that Satan himself is kept at a safe distance, never to torment us, right? Never. But instead... The people that God has kept are like Peter, who suffered prison and persecution and in the experience of denying his Messiah three times, not just once, three times. We are kept like David, who bore a son, who tried to usurp the throne, another one, killed his brother and he suffered the loss of at least one newborn son possibly two we're kept like Job who lost his property and his children and and there are dozens of biblical examples of people who are kept they're called righteous they have they had faith they obtained salvation Those elect never had easy lives. Never had easy lives. Now those examples do not sound like God is is loving at all. But each of those men that I mentioned that were kept from the evil one. They were kept. They were protected. God is always near, guiding our steps and keeping us from the evil one. We are safe and secure in Jesus. And in this, we can have confidence that all that the Father gives me, meaning Jesus, will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That's an open door. That's being allowed inside, and that's staying inside. Or in other words, despite what transpires here on earth, whether it's, it's hardship or ease, God keeps us from the evil one. And there is another thing which God keeps in, in, a, in a similar sense, his all-consuming fire is all-consuming fire. 
don't think it's not there because the world keeps on spinning. That fire continually burns because God will not abide sin. There's some sin yet to be put away with, to be destroyed. And did you know that in the law, the fire on that altar also had to be kept burning? That fire on the altar was not to be put out. He commanded, uh, God commanded the high priest, he said, and the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it, and it shall not be put out. He actually said that at least twice within two verses. It's pretty important. Don't let the fire go out. The fire where the peace offering is made, the fire where the sin offering is made. That fire is a, pictures of, is a picture of God's wrath against sin. If you want to be kept from the evil one, you also want to be kept out of that fire. Now, when we say that God keeps us from the evil one, I'm sure someone will hear that and ask if, if it means that God will prevent a person from committing a sin ever again, right? No. No, it doesn't mean that. I profess to be a believer, and I also profess that I am yet a sinner. This flesh is here to stay until God calls us home. Now, does God commit these sins to me? No. From his point of view, every believer looks like his son. I have not fallen into that consuming fire, and I have a confident faith that he will not even let the heat of that fire touch me. As it says in Jude, he keeps his people from stumbling and presents them faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's a that's a loving God. God has provided the easy way. And with a love that is mysterious and, and wonderful, he brings poor sinners to Jesus' feet instead of leaving them in their sin. And when God does this work, they cry, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I pray that the Lord keeps you. Bruce, would you close this, please?